You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. But go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word then to uh, John 15, 1 through 8. John 15, 1 through 8, we're returning back to uh, this conversation that's been happening uh, between uh, uh, Jesus and his disciples in the upper room. So we're just taking this uh, uh, one section at a time. I say a conversation, really, it's like some teaching here, but this is the last time that Jesus and his disciples, uh, minus Judas, he's already uh, gone out in chapter 13, but it's the last time that they would be all together like this in Jesus' earthly ministry. And they're sharing uh, a meal together. And like most large family gatherings, maybe as you even anticipate Thanksgiving, uh, your large family gathering, there'll be some turmoil, right? Uh, some like elephants in the room and, and things. And like, what, what would a large family gathering, a large family meal be without, you know, a little, uh, a little awkwardness, a little tension, uh, right? Uh, somebody in first service was like, that sounds awesome. I was like, well, it would be by the grace of God, right? But remember the context of what's happening where Jesus, the word said, before I read him here, I just want us to remember what's, what's happening in the room and what has happened just moments before uh, for them. Remember that the, like the meal began and Jesus washed the disciples' feet totally like upsetting all the social customs and the, 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 the protocols that existed there. Jesus, as the, in the place of authority, as the master, takes the lowest place and washes their feet, and this has them all unsettled. And then Jesus just calls out Judas as his betrayer, which also has the disciples all uh, like introspective and self-assessing, like, is this me? Could I uh, uh, do this to uh, Jesus? And then Jesus hits them also with like in no uncertain terms of his departure. He, he is leaving and going away and after three years of them following him. Now the disciples are, are, are anxious about being leaderless and what life will look like without Jesus uh, leading them. What are they going to do? And then Jesus calls out Peter's denial. It's real straightforward with him as Peter is boasting about his undying devotion to Jesus. And Jesus says, yeah, before the sun rises, you will deny me. And now everything around the table is awkward and they are troubled. And Jesus commands them to let not their hearts be troubled and lays out his care plan and the help that he will offer in his absence and the coming of the Holy Spirit who will encourage and comfort them as they continue to follow him in love and obedience to his his word. And so uh, what he lays out now in our text today is the secret then really to following Jesus both faithfully and fruitfully. The secret to that of how we will then uh, live, how disciples they then and we too now, how we can follow him faithfully and fruitfully in love and obedience. How do we do that? Well, let's read this passage. Maybe it's familiar to you, maybe not. We actually just really sang much of the themes in that song. The song Abide we just sang is really an anthem for us in this section, but let me read it to us. John 15 uh, verses 1 through 8. It's Jesus speaking here uh, to us. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes 
that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, this is God's word for God's people. Now, I ask a question. There's a secret here that's being revealed. So, church, what's the secret to following Jesus faithfully and fruitfully? In a word or in a phrase, what does he lay out here? Abide, right? Abiding in Jesus. That's That's the secret. This is how we follow him in love and obedience. And as we abide in him, then, what can we expect? How can we sum up this as the central expectation of Jesus teaching his disciples of what would happen as he leaves? Well, write this down. It's there in your notes. It's the central expectation. Expect to be pruned to bear fruit as you abide in Jesus. As we abide in him, then we can have this expectation of being pruned to bear more fruit in him and for him. Now, to, let me show you how we come to this conclusion in the, in the text. Now, look at what the statement that Jesus makes in, in verse 1. He's speaking here, and, and he makes this, it's really his seventh and final I am statement that we find all throughout John's gospel. Are you familiar with this? you remember this as we journeyed? I know some of this was many, many months ago while we were in these chapters. But uh, in John's gospel, Jesus uh, has seven I am statements. Beginning in, in chapter 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. In chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. In chapter 10, we find two of them where he says, I am the gate for the sheep and the good shepherd. In chapter 11, at the raising of Lazarus. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then just uh, last chapter in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the, the life. And now as we come here, he says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. And what Jesus is doing in each of these seven uh, uh, statements is taking in a common Old Testament theme, a common Old Testament illustration, and shows how he is the fulfillment, how he is the, 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 as Tim Keller, a famous pastor, would say, the true and better version of each of those things. How he uh, is, the, is actually what we are longing for in, in each of these. And so this one, as he comes to, there's just a little bit of context for us to understand really the significance of what Jesus is talking about when he says, I am the true vine. This isn't just like a cute illustration uh, from horticulture that he's making. Because here, here's the, the significance. And the Old Testament uses the example of Israel, or uses the example of a, of a vine, a grapevine, uh, uh, as the nation of Israel. Uh, particularly in Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. Go read that uh, uh, in your time with the Lord this week or this afternoon here. And Jesus, he will he will literally say, like, Israel is, is, is the vine. And then he talks about false fruits or uh, wild grapes and, and good fruit or good grapes that are born out of that. And so Israel, thinking of themselves as a vine, a grapevine, now Jesus is saying, well, I am the true vine. 
And so let me just read for you a, a portion from a commentary. A guy named Matt Carter is a, a pastor and a theologian. He, he helps uh, really draw out, make clear what Jesus is saying here. Let me just read it for you. He says this, when Jesus calls himself the true vine, he's making a contrast with the nation of Israel. Here's the point. The path to God doesn't go through the nation of Israel. It goes through Jesus. You don't need to become a citizen of Israel to be right with God. You need to become a disciple of Jesus. Don't worry about being in Israel. Instead, focus on being in Jesus. Let's say a person came to the religious leaders in Israel with serious inquiries about how to be made right with God. Okay, this is speaking in those days. He would have been instructed to become part of Israel, get circumcised, bring sacrifices to the altar, and celebrate the Jewish festivals and holy days. Jesus essentially says instead, becoming an Israelite is unnecessary and ineffective. You need to follow me. Union with Jesus, connection to the true vine, is the only way to please the gardener. End quote. Aha! Now I think we can grasp the cultural significance, really, of what Jesus is saying here. It isn't through the nation, it isn't through a system uh, that we are made right with God or that we abide with God, but now it is through Jesus who he says he is the true vine. Like, and so let's get this, this straight of who's who. He says, I am Jesus. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. In other words, like the gardener, right? The, the pruner, the, 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 the man with the shears in the garden trimming things up, right? And so Jesus is like the main vine. And then we learn in verse 5 that who are we? We are the branches, all who follow Jesus, those who love and obey his commandments, those who are his disciples are branches off the main vine. And so Jesus is using some greenhouse theology here. There's numerous biblical truths that we are see illustrated in horticulture, which makes sense because, you know, Jesus as the creator, the grower, you know, and how he has designed his world to operate. We just see all kinds of biblical truth in as we understand the natural world. And so he lays these things out here for us. Here's what you can expect. Here's who is who. And after establishing this, then he lays out really three spiritual principles of what we, how we, what we can expect in abiding him and following him both faithfully and fruitfully. And so write this down. We learn this in the first few verses is that everyone faces the shears. You know, uh, the shears or the scissors, right? Now, we, you know, if you're any gardeners in the house, any uh, hedge trimmers and things like that, right now we've got like, you know, big like shears. Or if you're, you know, you may have like a hedge trimmer, you know, for like the big things and all that. Now, they may have had those in those days too. They may have just had like a razor sharp knife to come along and to cut dead branches off, to to do the work on the the vines. But what he lays out for us in verse 2 is that everyone faces the shears. And this is like a startling reality, like nobody escapes the knife. Everyone gets cut to some degree or another. But what's the difference? It's the same motion in the hand of the Father, the same motion in the, same, in, in the hand of the, the vine dresser. The difference is one is lopped off or separated or literally taken away, uh, burned and apart from him, or it's pruned for greater fruit bearing. Again, the same motion, but very different outcomes on different types of branches, either dead branches or living branches. And so everybody faces the pruning shears of the vine dresser. 
Well, church, even as we grapple with this reality, what do we know? What do we know about the vine dresser? What do we know about the character of our father, the one who wields the knife? You tell me for a moment. You, you, you preach to me. What do we know about the attributes of God? Who is our God? He is what? He's good. Yeah. He's, he's good. He's merciful. What else? Full of grace. Yeah. He's wise. Yeah. Yeah. What else? He's omnipotent or all-powerful. Yeah. He's sovereign. He's in control of all things. The Bible reveals to us he is forgiving he is just, right? He, he loves us immeasurably. He is abounding in steadfast love, right? Overflowing without limit in it. He is purposeful in all that he does. And if we know these things about the Father, about the vine dresser, if these things are true, what can we conclude when we are feeling the knife of the Father? It's for our good. It's for our good. It is not accidental. It is not without purpose. He is not like a kid with a knife in, the, you know, in your garden, right? We would never just send a toddler loose you know, with something sharp anywhere. At least you should not, right? Let alone in our garden that is bearing fruit, right? And so as we assess our life and the fruit that is being born or the lack thereof, we can then conclude the type of cutting that we are under, right? To the disciples, he helps connect the dots about what this means in their life in verse 3, right? He helps them connect the dots. He says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And maybe that does sound a little dissonant here because it's like, all right, like clean and gardening. Like what, what, what are you, you're mixing metaphors. Come on, Jesus, you're like the good teacher. You can't like, like what, are we talking about gardening or bathing? Although after a day of gardening, you probably do need a bath, right? But he says, already you are clean. What's he getting at here? Well, as you remember, it's connected to chapter 13, okay? Chapter 13, verse 10, particular. If you want to look at it, you can here. But this is all like one long teaching for Jesus here. It's many weeks ago that we were in this uh, here, but uh, moments ago for the disciples as he's washing their feet. Peter's all uh, bent out of shape, like, no, 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 Jesus, you can't uh, do this. And Jesus like, well, I have to do it. And then Jesus like, wash the whole part of me. And Jesus like, no, like you're missing the point, Peter. You are already clean. You're already clean. What is he getting? You're already justified. You're already saved. You've already been uh, made right, declared right at my throne. You don't need, you just need washing. You just need sanctifying. And the same is true here. So he's, he's, even though it's a mixed metaphor, he's, he's coming off the teaching there saying, disciples, you with me right now, you are already saved. You've already been justified. The legal debt of your sin, the penalty of your sin has been paid, taken care of before the Lord so that they can know the pruning they are experiencing is not one of separation, but one of sanctification. You already clean because he's like, I already spoke this. I already did this greater work in you. And so now I am pruning you to produce greater fruit in you, this sanctifying and so we can say that everybody, there's none of us in here that can escape the knife of the Father. question is, what kind of cutting is the Father doing? 
And then the remaining verses here, in verses 4 to 8, really there's like these two twisted intertwined grapevines uh, that, that, are, that are worked together like these vines, laying out these two truths here. These two commands, a blessing and a, a warning, a command to abide and a warning to watch out for disconnecting. And so let's, let's just take the command first. Let's take the blessing first. Write this down. Abide in Jesus and you will thrive. All right? It's pretty clear from verse 4 what the secret to following Jesus faithfully and fruitfully entails, right? I guess, and even calling it a secret, I'm just like playing with you. It's not like it's a secret, right? Is how much clearer can Jesus be in verse 4? Abide in me and I in you. But we need to pause there. Because what does it mean to abide? How many of you use that in a, like a normal sentence with your kid this week? Maybe some of you. It's interesting. It's like we have to, we have to come to come to this shame. Because also use this word abide, verse 4, is also what is used to the Holy Spirit. Back in the passage we were in last week, in 14.17, when he says the Holy Spirit dwells with you and in you. It's the same, same word. You could say the Holy Spirit abides with you, and where we dwell in me, Jesus could have said here. And so that's what, he, what he's getting at. It's to dwell, to reside, to remain, to be connected to, like a, like a branch to the main vine, like one of these leaves here, the connecting point here. This leaf is abiding in this main branch here. Or to just switch an illustration here for a second to help us understand what it means to abide. What is this? Is it? Impact driver, that's right. It looks like a drill, but it's an impact driver here. It has the bit to do the work of an impact drill, but something is also missing. Aha, what's missing? There's no battery. There's no power. It looks like an impact driver. It looks like a, a, a drill, but it is not connected to anything here. The connecting point of the power to the thing is what gives it its ability in order to be effective, it has to be connected. Okay, you know, otherwise, it's just a piece of mostly plastic. There's some like metal parts in, in uh, power tools now, but it's just an item. And it's true of us as disciples. If we're ineffective, if we're not connected to the Lord, right? We're just an uh, impact driver with no battery. And so Jesus is like, abide in me, I in you. And then in verse 5 here, kind of, we're, we're untangling these vines for a moment. Verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. We're just re-clarifying who is who in this. But then the resulting outcome as well. Abide in me, I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And so here again is some greenhouse theology. Some truth, right? Vines must be pruned in order to bear fruit, in order to continue to thrive in, uh, uh, throughout the, their, their growth and throughout the years. Here's even a picture. Michael sent me this from a friend that uh, uh, is a grape uh, grower, the one on the left and the one on the right. Uh, the year before, the one on the left had been, uh, had been pruned, been taken back, and the one on the right had not. Now this is the following spring as it is growing. Look which one is, uh, is, is more, uh, has more leaves. It's thriving, the one on the left. Now this, these are pretty young plants, but can you kind of see it? I know there's grass and all that. Maybe some of you in the back are like, I can't see them. 
Let me just say, the one on the left, the one that is planted good soil that has been pruned is actually the one that is, is thriving. And so vines will not flourish if they are not planted in good soil, nor pruned to bear more fruit. And so it is with followers of Jesus. Write this down. Disciples will not flourish. You can personalize this. I will not flourish as I am intended if I am neither abiding in Jesus nor being pruned by the Father. Disciples will not flourish as they're uh, uh, intended if they are not planted in good soil nor continually being sanctified under the hand of the Father and the work of the Holy Spirit. This is how we bear fruit. This is what happens. We must be biting or planted in good soil and pruned that continuous sanctifying work in order to thrive under the sovereign good hand of the Father and the intentional, personal, and biting work of the Holy Spirit in us. And so the text then lays out for us what happens. What happens when we are planted in Jesus and pruned by the Father? Well, I've already said it here. We bear fruit, right? And so what is, he, what is Jesus getting at here when he talks about this bearing fruit? What, what is it? What is actual, God-honoring, biblical, spiritual fruit that is, that is produced in us as we abide in Jesus? Jesus, the root, he's the one we're connected to. What is, what is, what is the fruit? Is it, is it our good deeds? I mean, this is a very important question for us, right? We want, we want to be bearing good fruit. Is it, is, it, is it the amount of serving that we do? A time spent doing good works. The conversions, the soul winning. What, what, what are the good works? Well, it's important, important for us to understand because there's also, there can be, our, all of our lives are bearing some kind of fruit. It might be good fruit, it might be bad fruit. Jesus actually warns of this in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Should we look at it? Let's, let's just do a quick say. Let's look at two passages here. Turn over to Matthew chapter 7. Go in reverse. Here in John right now. John, then Luke then Mark, then Matthew, towards the end. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. I want you to see this. It's early on in Jesus' ministry. He's teaching. He's using some of these same metaphors. Nothing what he's telling the disciples here. He's just reiterating spiritual truths that he has taught all throughout his three years of earthly ministry. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 15, says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No, right? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits, all right? And so here's Jesus just teaching these uh, same things, so recognized by fruit. Well, what's, what, uh, bad fruits, false teaching, bad fruit. But what, 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 what are these kind of fruits? Well, Paul uh, is very clear for us in Galatians chapter 5. What are the type of fruits that he's talking about here? Go uh, now in forward, back through the Gospels, back past John. When do we have John, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians? Then you'll find Galatians chapter 5. He talks about here, maybe you're familiar with this, the fruits of the what? Aha! Aha! Fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are not a banana, coconut. None of you serving kids' ministry. Here's, here, what are the fruits that we're looking at? 
Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, listen to this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I don't know about you, but I want the fruit of that hanging all over my tree. How do we get there? How is this fruit produced in our life? Through the Spirit abiding in us, through walking with Him, being led by Him, keeping in step by Him. All these, uh, these, uh, these uh, phrases about the Spirit abiding in us, being connected to Jesus. This is actual God-honoring, spiritual uh, fruit here. I think that is in view of what Jesus is talking about here, of what comes of it. Because, because here's, here's the thing in this. Like, we all want these things to be true in us. And, and, and sometimes we like even ask people to pray for us or even ask God, like, God, make me more patient with my kids. God, make me love my uh, spouse better. And what, how does God answer that prayer? <laughs> with an opportunity to demonstrate patience and love, right? Here, here you go. Here, you want this. Is Are you walking in the Spirit? Are you abiding in me? Here's a great opportunity for the fruit of that to be evidence in, in your life, for it to come out and be true of you. God's pruning work is so that these uh, characteristics, these fruits of the Holy Spirit are more abundant in our life. These, this is how when we're under his, his, his pruning work, his growing, as we're abiding in him, as we're being pruned by the Father, these are the fruits that God is wanting to make more abundant in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. God give us more of that, right? But what else? What else happens? Go back to John 15. Now we're done on our little journey. What else? What is verse 7? Again, these are intertwined. What happens when we are planted in Jesus or abiding in Jesus and pruned by the Father? We bear fruit, but also look at verse 7. We have an incredible prayer life. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, okay, I want that. I want to be connected to Jesus and his words abiding in me, then what? ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Where have we heard that before? Just, you know, right at the, what is that, at the end of chapter, no, right in the middle of uh, chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. Jesus already said this. He said it earlier on in other teachings here. As we are abiding in Jesus and being pruned by the Father, we have access to this incredible prayer life. It's conditional, right? Though There's an if. If his words abide in you, if you abide in him and his words, right? His pruning work in your life is to make you more prayerful. To make you more dependent on him. To make you realize, like, God, apart from you, I can do nothing. God, apart from you, I, I, I can't. I'm not wise enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I don't have the endurance to continue on. His pruning work is to make us more prayerful here. And church, isn't this like all the motivation we need, right, to consistently, faithfully staying connected to the Lord like, isn't this the motivation that we need to be connected to the Lord by reading our Bibles, by praying uh, to Him, of living in an uncommon community, connected to Jesus' body that empowers our, our prayer life, right? Like, not in a manipulative, like, self-advancing way, like, God, I read my Bible today, and I've read it every day for multiple weeks here. Now you're obligated to do whatever I want. 
No, no, because the reality is as we are abiding in him and as our, his words are abiding in us, as we're living in this community, as we read here, we are actually humbled by the grace of God to us to actually know him and talk to him and that, uh, that, 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 that we know that, man, he would, he would talk to the likes of me we would ask for his will, he, knowing he's good and sovereign and we are not that even our wildest imagination, the biggest things that we might dream up, his way is infinitely better, eternally good. For when we're left to ourselves, what, what are our prayers often just about? They're about momentary uh, relief. God, help me in this moment. It's not necessarily wrong to ask that. But we can pray, God, be glorified. Because we know that what he will produce, what he uh, can, uh, you know, what he is doing in his wisdom and according to his all wise purposes, is infinitely better, eternally good. He is doing works that we would not even believe if he told us the plan from beginning to end. This is the kind of prayer life that results when we're abiding in Jesus and being pruned by the Father. We, have, we bear fruit. We have a credible prayer life. But look at verse 8. tells us that God is glorified in all this. Okay? By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Right? His pruning works make us more vertical. And isn't that what we all want? Michael, Michael, as he began the service, said that's our aim. And as we gather here as God's people, as we worship this morning, we're here for the Lord. As we live our lives, we want God to be glorified. His work on display in and through and out from our lives, proving to the people around us that we are actually his disciples. That as people in our families, in our business, in our classrooms, they see the change. They see the growth happening in us. And this proves our disciples and is our unafraid witness to the world around us. As we can say, yeah, I met the Lord. Yeah, I'm connected to Jesus. That's why you see love, joy, peace, patience, uh, you know, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control in this world, right? You, you see this here because of what God has done in me. Let his name be praised, not me peace that I have in the midst of world chaos isn't because I'm good, because I'm at peace with God, because the Prince of Peace is my Savior, right? God is glorified in this. The world knows, and this is what, I, what we all, at least I hope we do. I hope we want our lives to be lived to the glory of God. For as we abide in Him, this is when we thrive. Here is where we flourish, abiding in him, in his word. For there's a warning woven throughout all of this. A warning here to write this down, that if we disconnect from Jesus, you will die. Did you catch that as we were reading it here? As Jesus lays out the blessing not far behind it is also the warning of being disconnected from Jesus. Verse 4 lays out in no uncertain terms that it is impossible to bear fruit disconnected from Jesus. Impossible. Uh, many of you know this. If not, like uh, I grew up in, a, in, in the greenhouse world. I'm a son and a grandson of a uh, family of greenhouse owners. Cushman's Greenhouse in Belmont, Wisconsin. Look it up. If you ever make it through southwest Wisconsin, Go check it out. I grew up there, grown and learned all kinds of lessons here. And as a kid, one of my jobs when I, you know, didn't have, you know, the, the ability to do much else, but one thing that I could do was this, this dreaded job of deadheading. Okay? 
Y'all ever do this with your, in your own garden and with your own flowers? Blooms come up, they die. What has to happen? Right? They have to come off. And, uh, and so all kinds of things, but particularly uh, a, a, a huge project was deadheading geraniums. You know, and as a kid, when you walk into a greenhouse, it seems like there's just miles of geraniums laid out before you. It's like, all right, I got it to do. And so, you know, you do the greenhouse shuffle, you start popping them off uh, down as where the, the branch meets the main uh, branch, and you start popping them off and throwing them off and, uh, you know, and then taking them over to the dump pile. Now, if I would have, you know, as a kid, taken those and started taking all the dead ones and putting them down in the dirt, what would have happened? Nothing really. Decay, yeah, withering away. Nothing. They would not have life disconnected from the main uh, a branch. Apart from the main stem, they could do nothing. And Jesus lays this spiritual truth out for us. Spiritually speaking, the same is true for us. Disconnected from Jesus, we can do nothing. Which he says also in verse 5 at the very end of the verse, without any wiggle room, right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Underline that in your Bible so you never miss it. So you always uh, see this. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so, so listen, church. Like, listen, uh, you cannot bear fruit. Cannot, not will not. Like verse 4, you, the branch, as a branch, cannot bear fruit by himself. You cannot bear fruit if you are spending more time in GWATs than with the Lord. Giant waste of time. You, you cannot bear fruit if you are spending more time playing video games than you are reading your Bible, praying, and living in biblical community. You cannot bear fruit if you are spending more time in front of the TV watching sports as much as we want the Astros to win and all, you know the Packers to win this afternoon. If we are spending more time watching sports or other TV than we are reading our Bible, praying, being connected to community or on social media or whatever it all, whatever it is, right? And let me just gently say, if you are feeling overwhelmed, burdened in your life, then this may be why. You can do nothing. Parent your kids? No. Find a spouse? No. Love your spouse of many decades? No. No. Uh, be a good friend? Brothers and sisters in your life? No. Be an excellent worker in your job? Be a diligent student in the classroom? No. N- none, not a nothing. You cannot do it on your own. Disconnected from Jesus, you, you just can't do it. Then these things, our kids, a spouse, a marriage, friends, career, they either become obstacles or idols in our life. And Jesus loves to, or the Father rather, loves to come and prune those things out of our life. And if you're not prioritizing your walk with Christ, both personally and communally, then you are in danger. Danger for yourself and dangerous to others. And Jesus doesn't lay, he doesn't leave any wiggle room here, does he? And so even this morning, as we're assessing our life and the spirit is at work in the, in the, in the moment, just, just take a minute here. Like, what am I, ask your heart this question right now. What am I attempting to do on my own apart from Jesus? What have I been attempting on my own, disconnected from Jesus? Write it down in your notes. Write it, write it down. If there's something like very clear right now, the Spirit is practical, write it down. Talk to the Lord about it. Talk with your small group. Talk with your spouse uh, uh, about these things. You know, what, what is that? What is the, the nothing that I've been defiant in before the Lord? What is the nothing that I've been independent in? 
maybe just thinking this, maybe not actually audacious enough to say it, but thinking, well, you know what, Jesus, I, probably, I can handle this on my own without you. And see, as you assess, as you take in Jesus' warning in this, there are really only two options as to what kind of cutting the Father is doing in your life. He's either pruning out the G-Watts, the idols, those giant G-Watts, a giant waste of time. He's pruning them, the idols, out of your life that are sucking the spiritual vitality out of you so you can bear more fruit. If you're already clean, you're walking with him, then God loves you. He's, he's cutting these things out. Or he's warning you that verse 6 awaits. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. You're lopped off entirely. Tossed into the fire, separated from the main vine and the rest of the branches. It's a sobering warning, is it not, church? But with the warning also comes the invitation. This is, he, he, is, he is calling you to himself, where the, where, where the branch is, is, is inviting you and to graft you in, inviting you to abide, to dwell with him, to have life in his name, to be connected to him, and to enjoy the fruitful life he promises to all who love and obey his words, who faithfully abide in him, and in so doing, please the gardener, the vine dresser, experiencing the the as we're connected we experience then his pleasure and his delight over the, uh, over the beauty and the fragrance and the fruit of the vine that is that is being born in our life this is what we want and this is what Jesus invites us into and warns us of what we will miss out on see redemption this is the secret, the secret to following Jesus faithfully and fruitfully. This is the secret in his absence to continue abiding in him. And as we abide in him, we can expect the good, sovereign, and sometimes painful pruning that we might bear greater fruit. Let's pray and ask God to do that work in us even now. God in heaven, here we are. Before you, under your Word, heeding your warnings and desiring your blessings. And so as we begin, God, we, we, we bring uh, those things we wrote down to you, confessing, God, yeah, I've tried to do this on my own. I've tried to live my life disconnected uh, from you. And so we just begin with a moment of confession, God, telling you we're sorry. even as we confess and we tell you we're sorry as we repent God we're grateful that you forgive us we're grateful that you have not left us to ourselves but you invite us in and so help us to walk even today in that grace in that forgiveness in your good love towards us, God. If there are any that don't know you, Lord, and you're, you're doing your work, God, would you 
by your word, would you make them clean as they turn from sin, as they trust you, Jesus, as the true vine, the only way to be right with God. Lord, for, for those that are feeling the sting of the knife, the shears this morning, We embrace it. We tell you, God, we're, we're glad that you are doing this work in our life. And yet we also, God, it, it still, it hurts. <laughs> be near, be tender, do your work in our life. So thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for not leaving us alone. for faithfully and forever tending to us that we might bear more fruit for your glory. That's what we want today. That's what we want this week. And so we abide in you. We trust you now. God, we pray these things in Christ's name. All redemption said, amen.